Man, it's uh, good to be home. Uh, we took out of here uh, 4 a.m. Wednesday morning and uh, have been to uh, South Dakota and Minnesota and Wisconsin and uh, just got in late last night and I uh, was glad to see the church still standing and they didn't need me at all. So this has been a great week and I'm thankful for all those who kept things going uh, and I'm glad to be able to be here this morning and kind of share with you what's on my heart as we begin this series. I really didn't want to miss this week to kind of tell you where we're going, because uh, I think it's a pivotal series for our church, especially in light of what happened last week. Because um, uh, last week, some folks came and visited, and some of you are back because uh, something triggered in your heart. You, you said something's different that I need. Whatever we've been talking about, something needs to happen. And so this week, I kind of want to point us in a direction about what that's, what that's all about. So uh, let's um, say, uh, I have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for these beautiful people, the high honor of being able to share with them, man, what, you, uh, what you've laid so heavily on my heart uh, for this series. But Lord, all of us come at this from different angles this morning, and we're all coming from different places. Some of us are coming from great woundedness. Some of us are coming from incredible lostness. Some of us are coming from great places right now. Uh, but wherever we are, Lord, I, I pray that you would kind of till up the soil of our hearts. Um, ultimately, this whole thing is a conversation between individuals and you. And Lord, we're just sort of prompting, and your Holy Spirit is guiding and directing this conversation already this morning, uh, as we have worshipped in our different environments already, people have been moved because of your Spirit speaking to us. And so Lord, that's what the goal is. We love you. Hide me deep in your cross, I pray this morning. Um, give me the freedom to share what you placed upon my heart, in your name, amen. Man, uh, good morning to those in the chapel. Good morning to those who are worshipping at Pleasant View. Uh, we're celebrating with them this morning. I'll tell you a bit about that uh, just as we kind of summit, summarized last week as Justine sort of did here in this service. Uh, Easter was amazing this year, and I know I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to say it's amazing every year. But this year especially, Easter was really something for us, and we got really excited as a church. Um, and, and, and I was so proud of all of the celebrations and of all of the people who served extra and went the extra mile. God's glory was on stunning display. And some really cool things that happened last week uh, for Easter were, were these. One, uh, I think for the first time, our entire community uh, here in the chapel and uh, at Pleasant View, we all took communion at the same time in our worship environments, all of us sort of celebrating the unshakable foundation of this faith. And then at Central Campus here, we were able to open up our newest parking lot, <laughs> which I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but we actually were able to open it just in time. I don't know, I was, I was one that had to park like over in Samaria, <laughs> you know, I, just <laughs> I was one that had to park down there. And actually, I see that they paved or uh, poured the steps this week, which is exciting. Um, and, and that doesn't seem like such a big deal, except at, um, at one point last Sunday, we still, some of you still had to park in the grass out behind uh, the church. So we're real thankful for that to be open. And then um, also last week marked the one-year anniversary of our Pleasant View campus. And so uh, they're celebrating down there this morning with a video that they're going to be watching. And I'll just tell you what, why that matters, just so we're really clear and you don't have any questions. When we took over the campus, they came to us there at church of 35 people. And they came and said, hey, we're no longer reaching the community as effectively as we would like to. And uh, I don't know the exact numbers, as I said, I've been out of town, but I do know that the growth has been over 200% within the past year for that campus, because there's 24,000 lost people within five miles of that campus down there. And so those guys are rocking and rolling, so excited for them. And then we had volunteers serving all morning long across all the campuses, which is a big deal, because if we had to hire all of you to do what you did last week, the church couldn't do that. And so thank you for being obedient. Thank you for using your gifts and being a part. 
Uh, we had over 430 children across our campus, just children, over four, which means we all can do, we do one thing really well, and that is we, we produce children, and we're thankful for that. that that's a, there's more than one way to grow a church. And um, so 430 kids all across the campus, that was an exciting thing to kind of celebrate. It's an all-time high for us. And then uh, last Sunday, somewhere uh, close to 2,300 and some odd people were part of our attendance, which is a record high. Now, let's celebrate that a minute. Can we celebrate that just a second? <clears throat> now, let me tell you why all those numbers matter. And there are really two reasons that I want to share with you, just so there's no misunderstanding, especially those of you who are back and you're just checking things out. Uh, make no mistake, there's no desire to grow a big church. That's not what this whole thing is about. So let me tell you kind of two, two reasons why this matters. First, what I'm most excited about is all the folks that were here last week heard a message about the unshakable kingdom of a life that's built on the promise of Jesus Christ. And it's this promise. It's Jesus' words. Jesus says, I'll die, and then three days later, I'm coming back. And having conquered sin and death. So this, is, this whole deal, last Sunday, the whole deal and the incredible amount of effort it took was because all those people, and when the time it gets to the videos and the YouTubes and the Facebooks and all that, it'll literally be thousands of people who will hear that message. Now listen, if you're not even a, if you're not even a believer and you hear this and you think, wow, there's not a whole lot necessarily bad about this. This will help our community if people have hope and people believe that they can build their lives on something. And in fact, I sat in my office and I watched families leaving. It was kind of creepy, but I sat there and I just watched you all, you know, and I watched you all trying to help put on the bracelets last week. Anybody else trying to use their teeth to kind of get that thing cinched up? Yeah, I saw you. And so, you know, I was doing the same thing in my office. And I started to wonder about the ripple effect of that kind of message. I started to imagine families that were facing a crisis or individuals fighting a sense of kind of uh, meaninglessness or maybe someone kind of fighting an addiction or fighting for marriage or fighting over or grief or whatever. But no matter what the situation, as, as people were leaving, we, we lifted the hope that we have in Jesus high by identifying and owning the unshakable kingdom that we're working to build a life on. And that's such a, such a win for the kingdom of God. And the second reason those numbers matter is because it is obvious God is using a life to reach the 96,000 or the 24,000. One of the conversations I had this week, they said, how big is your congregation? And the things that they were sharing was the congregation is the size of the lost people in your community. So that means here we're a congregation of 96,000 people. And until we get all those guys here in church or here in a church in our community or somewhere, our job's not finished. In fact, we're probably too lackadaisical about the whole deal to begin with. And so let's try to get to work and get those. And down on Pleasant View, they've got 24,000 people they're trying to reach. And so that's, that's the congregation that we're trying to reach. And God is affirming the vision that he placed on this church long before, to be honest, any of us, I think, were here. Most of us were even here. God is giving us the desire of our hearts. Men and women and boys and girls are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we have sacrificed. We have given generously. We've served long hours, and God has blessed us in all of this. And of course, with awareness of God's blessing, also comes incredible opportunity. And as you know, we value our children deeply in this congregation. We know, here's a trick, just to let you know, and we probably got some of you this way. If we get the kids, mom and daddy are coming. 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know you're in the room, okay? I understand that. You go to church for the kids, but you're the one that really needed it, okay? Your kids were fine. You were the beast. But in a way, that's still, that's a different story, different message. So we value the children, and we, we in, in the next few months, I am so excited. In fact, they keep holding me back saying I can't share with you, but I'm the pastor. So, so, so in the next few months, we're actually going to reveal an incredible, adventurous, and risky opportunity to prepare alive on both campuses to effectively care for the children who are coming to Alive in record numbers. And I cannot wait. Some of you are being contacted even now about being part of that adventure. We have folks working on that even as we speak, so stay tuned. Now, maybe, maybe some of you were guests here for the first time last week, and you decide to come back and give it a whirl, and you're wondering where the kettle corn is and the slide and all that. Well, we can't do that every week. But perhaps, perhaps you found encouragement. You know, perhaps you, you found Jesus and his salvation. Perhaps you just found out you really like the place and something inside of you is stirring, but you're really not sure what that is. Regardless of why you're here, the message of an unshakable kingdom sort of leads us all to a very specific question in my mind. And the question that I would say that we are wrestling with is, if that is true, now what? If last week and what we celebrated is true, if there is this possibility of an unshakable kingdom, now what are we supposed to do? Now, now what? And if there's an unshakable kingdom and it's something we can build a life on that will not rattle, will not roll, and what, it doesn't move, what should I do with that truth? And, and as I thought about it, there are really several responses to that truth. And you see if I can define what your, your response is. Some people would say, I know this is true, but I'm not changing anything. Well, how do you know that, Tom? Well, because that's what I did for years. <laughs> I know it's true, but I frankly don't care. And I'm just going to live the way I want to live. Some of you would say, I know it's true, but I don't know what to do. Well, you're, you're at the right place at the right time right now. This is going to be exciting for you. I know it's true, some people would say, but I can't change anything. I've tried. I gave it a whirl a long time ago, Tom. I tried to do this. I went to the altar even, but I couldn't do it. I know it's true, some would say, but it's just not important to me right now. It's not top list. I'm just trying to get my life together. Some people would say, I know it's true, and I need to change a few things. And that may be where a good many of us were last week. I know that's true, and I probably need to build my life on an unshakable kingdom as opposed to what I'm building it on now. Some of you would say, you know, I know it's true, and I really, frankly, need to change a lot of things. In fact, I could make a list of maybe 10, 12, 15 things I need to change right now. And then some of you, your response was, you know, Tom, I know all that's true. And I need to change absolutely everything. And when we come to a realization like that, sometimes that realization is so heavy and so strong that it becomes what you think about during every waking hour. It kind of hangs around with you all week. Every interaction you kept thinking about last week and you couldn't wait for this Sunday to start. Because for some, some men, some women have placed their resolve of this whole discussion in I cannot fail at this category. You tracking? Some of us in this room have got to such a point and life has led to such a point that God has given you a special insight where you know if you stay on the path you are on, it is going to lead to a bad place or a dark place. It's going to lead to a breakdown. It's going to lead to guilt. It's going to lead to shame. And who knows, whatever. You just kind of had that moment. I had this moment in my life where I was able to walk, walk to the edge of a cliff, so to speak. And God allowed me to look down inside and to see where I was going. 
and it scared me to death. It absolutely scared me to death. And that changed everything because that's not what I wanted to do with my one and only life. Alive likes to say, we're a me too community. And sometimes I feel like that sort of gets a little misunderstood. So let me share just kind of just real clear. Uh, one thing Me Too is not and one thing Me Too is. I know this is driving you English people nuts, but just stay with me, okay? So I'm going to share with you one thing that Me Too is not and one thing that Me Too is, which sounds really bad. Okay, so he- he- here it is. Me Too uh, does not mean anything goes. I don't want you to misunderstand this. Because and the reason I don't want you to misunderstand this is I really believe you're here like I am because we're all seeking truth and help. And so I don't want you to think that me too means you can do whatever you want to do. That's not what it is. Jesus told one of his most famous passages, famous messages in the Sermon on the Mount. He tells this story. And in this story, he teaches of a guy who was so busy pointing out what was wrong in another person. In fact, Jesus used the word speck of sawdust. Like, man, dude, you got, some, you got some junk going on in your eyes. Something wrong with you. You got some stuff oozing. You know, he was pointing all this stuff out in someone else. And that's what Christians are, are, are good at, unfortunately. And so we sort of point out, you know, oh, there's a speck over there. But he was doing that. He's so focused on what was wrong with his friend. Jesus says the dude missed that he had a whole board in his own eye. <laughs> you know, he's looking, oh, you got some sawdust over there. The boy's can a two-by-four out of, the head of, out of his forehead. He was so busy pointing out the flaws of someone else that he failed to see his own flaws. And sometimes people will use this story of, as evidence that you shouldn't judge other people, which is a great idea unless you read the next verse. <laughs> and if you read the next verse, that sort of kind of shoots that all to pieces because this is what Jesus said right after this story about the speck in the log. He says, you hypocrite, take the plank out of your own dadgum eye. That's the southern version. Take it out of your own dadgum eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not saying ignore what's in your brother's eye. He's just saying, get off your high and mighty horse, roughly speaking. Isn't that what he's saying? I mean, read it for yourself. You don't need me to tell you what that means. He wasn't saying, don't judge other people. He was saying, don't judge other people and then forget you're jacked up too. Turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, say, you jacked up. Go ahead, tell them. Just tell them, let them have it. Say, you are jacked up. I have done more for some of your marriages than you have done in an entire year. Just to get that off your chest, just say, you, turn to your children. You are some jacked up children. Your mother, you know, whatever it is, just say that. It feels good. And what you're saying is you got something in your eye. And I do too. Me too. Me too, man. You got something in your life that's messed up. You know what? So do I. Me too doesn't mean anything goes. That's why these two words we talked about on Easter really matter to me. I have no way that I could say my life is better than your life. I'm as jacked up as you folks are. Well, some of you are probably really jacked up. Most of us are all have a jacked up problem. But those two words I mentioned on Easter are so significant to me. And the one that, was, that we mentioned first was repent and, and then redeem. And repent basically means to turn from the stuff in, in my eye. Turn from the stuff that's messed up. Turn from my strategy and my plan and my agenda. And turn back to what I was created to be. And that's what the redeem piece means. It means to allow God to make all that stuff that is jacked up, <laughs> make it new. Make it new. Come on, amen? Make that stuff new and set me free from the stuff in my eye and in my heart. And that leads to what the second thing I want to tell you about me too. This is kind of what me too is not, but this is what me too is. Me too does mean my sin separated me from God. 
When we say alive is a Me Too community, what we're saying is everybody, everybody's claiming that sin hurt my relationship with God, and everybody here knows that to be true. Whatever you think of Tom, please never forget my sin separated me from God. That's a legit thing that happened. It's an embarrassing, a shame-filled stuff that happened in my life. And I hear this all the time. If I ever go to church, the roof is going to fall down. And a lot of us sort of felt that way. And, you know, as near as I can tell, the roof, roof's still holding. You know, this may be the day, but so far, the roof is still holding. Uh, my sin separated me from God. But, man, I was saved. I, I met Jesus. I was saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what this Me Too community is. Sin separated me from God, but what we have is... We, I can look you in the eye and say, man, you used to be a louse. And you can say, man, Tom, you used to be a jerk. I know. But my sin separated me from God. And, and Jesus, Jesus saved me through faith. And so we're this Me Too community. That's what we celebrate. That's what a good many of us have in common in this room. And we would normally be very happy about that. Me too. Me too, man. This, this, this entire community is a jacked up group of people who are separated from God. But then we met Jesus and we were saved by grace through faith. And we are spending the rest of our lives living out that reality. That's what we mean by me too. Do you understand? And you have the opportunity to be part of that. There's nothing special about us. You can do that. And all this me too discussion is really a tool. It's a way to get all of us thinking about our worldview. Because truth be told, many of us in this room are acts, have actually bought into a view of the world that is wrong or that is actually false. And so in this series that we're getting ready to do, I want to kind of add to your biblical worldview. We sort of begun the process by talking about this Me Too business. And, and I want to sort of look at what it means to follow Jesus in some specific areas. Now at this point, I need to issue you a word of caution. I want to value you. I don't want to surprise you. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. But this is a significant discussion for, our, for the church to have. Because in the next few weeks, the, the, the grand illustration that I want to show you about what this biblical worldview and its impact, the illustration I want to use to put that on display is the area of relationships. For some, it'll be marriage. For some, it'll be dating. For some, it'll be parenting. Maybe all of them. And because of the need of this series in our communities, I just want you to know, I'm not planning on pulling any punches. I'm not going to try to coddle you. I'm not going to try to use kid gloves with you. Um, and so what that means is this series is actually going to offend some, and I know, I know that. And believe that, believe it, th this is difficult for me. It really is. Um, and, and the reason is I know some of you are actually going to choose to leave, which leads to this question so why are we doing this series, Tom? Uh, well, are you intentionally trying to offend people, make them mad, and cause them to leave? Oh, oh my goodness, no, not intentionally. We, we, we end up doing that naturally, but I don't mean to do that intentionally, okay? It's not what we're trying to do on purpose. So why are we doing it? Well, here's why. Ready? I love you. Now, I'm not saying that I know all of you. But I am saying that I am deeply motivated by love for our community. And I think it is crucial to go where we're going because there's a great deal of confusion in culture today. If anybody or any organization has a strong stance on an issue, it opens itself up for criticism. Fair? 
church is certainly no exception to this, especially when we take a strong stance in the areas of marriage and family. And I think much of the confusion stems from this question. Is it possible to actually love the sinner while hating sin? And to me, that's a great thing to think about. Because if the church could get this right, we'd have a whole lot more evidence to point to in the positive. But truth be told, we naturally get this wrong. And so we have to figure out a way to have this discussion in a safe place. And even if you're here and you're dealing with issues that you're the me too, your life is messed up like mine was, that you can be part of the discussion and still hear a biblical worldview and still sense God's love. Is it possible to actually love the addict who falls back over and over and over again while still hating her sin? Is it possible to love the one who was unfaithful to me while still hating adultery? Is it possible to love people who have the same sex attraction and still believe homosexuality is a sin? Culture seems to be saying the church can't do this. Culture seems to be saying we can't do this. Already in the room, we're a little uncomfortable, aren't we? Culture seems to be saying if the church stands against anything, that means we don't love. Culture seems to be saying if the church doesn't accept everything, then we're obviously hate mongers. Culture seems to be saying the most loving thing to do is let people do what they want to do without judgment. In fact, the only body of people that I see who are actually fair game when it comes to criticism in our culture seems to be the evangelical church. But, but you know what? Nobody believes. Nobody believes what I just said. Even if you're not a believer, you don't believe what I just said. Nobody believes that people, we should just let people do what they want to do. Do we? Do we? How about this? If you allow your two-year-old to reach up and grab a hot pan on the stove, is that the most loving thing you could do? Well, of course not. In fact, that's not loving at all. That's sick, and you'd probably be locked up for that. The only, the only thing that I think we have to deal with is what is love? And is it loving at all? Is it loving if we stand up and say we're for everything when really it could cause pain to someone? But how do we love without communicating hate? How do we warn people of potential harm without hating the people? Now, please hear me on this. I'm not trying to be political. Some of you know me well, and you know that I'm not going to try to be political. Some of you don't. I'm not bright enough, to be honest, to be political, and, and you probably aren't either. But, but I can stake my case. I can stake my case via Facebook memes like everybody else, right? You know, those are the stories that kind of educate us. But let's be honest. There's nothing new there. Trying to be political will only divide the church. And the church isn't which party has the correct platform. My opinion about which party has, doesn't matter here. Politics are not worth pulpit time to me. But we are a church that has in very recent days said once again, the Bible has authority here. We've said that as a body. We affirmed it in the Blueprint series. We did. Sometimes things the Bible teaches become front and center in the political arena. Instead of the church staying silent on these issues, I think the church should lead the way on these issues because I think it's the most loving way to go. So here's my request. Why don't we all be grown-ups? 
I'm going to try to, okay? I know I've got the farthest to go, but I'm going to try. Let's be grown-ups, and let's have a legit discussion on difficult topics, huh? And then we can hash them out in small groups or in the lobby or wherever we're going to go, but, but all in the context of, of, of love. That's the whole agenda. The, the prophet Jeremiah describes this sense of urgency that some of us feel as it relates to culture in these words. Check out these words. This is amazing. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in Jesus' name, his word is in my heart. Look this. Like, look this. Okay, look at this. I just kind of, like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. Have you ever felt that way before? I mean, it's ah, it's a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Isn't that true? Man, that, that, that's how some of us in the room feel. So people are being shredded by political agendas, and these agendas have hit every area of our lives. What is right? What is wrong? What are we to accept as a society, and what are we to reject as a society? How are we going to define marriage, and, and what is the church to do if the redefinition of marriage sort of conflicts with biblical teaching? And so here, here's what we're learning. And you just see if you agree. A good many people are tired of Hollywood and Disney or some lobby group or some politician trying to get elected setting the values for our families. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm, I'm sick of it. I really am. I, I'm sick and tired of it because, like many of you, I'm tired of picking up the pieces of it. I'm tired of seeing the influence all that's having on our homes. We've seen the damage done by attacking values and the impact the attack is actually having on our society. Nobody who studies societal trends is going to tell us things are all up and to the right as far as society wellness goes. And so that's why I think we have to have the discussion, and that's why I'm using this particular illustration to have the discussion. In the scripture, Paul's writing to a church that was living out its faith in a very tolerant, anything-goes kind of culture. Very similar to what we face today. So the message Paul's teaching to encourage the church is apropos, I think, to the conditions a life finds itself in today. This is the book of Ephesians. This is the first, first chapter, verse 7. If you have scripture, you can, you can follow along. You can get it on the app. The notes, are the notes are on the app. If you don't have a Bible, go out the front desk there. They got Bibles to give you for free. We'd love for you to have one. But here it is, Ephesians 1, verse 7. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, let me just tell you what, what, that, what that's saying. Out of love, God set in motion a plan through Jesus Christ. And the plan was this. If we repent, Jesus redeems. That's the plan. You, you see that? So God didn't create robots. He created people with a will, and he's allowing each of us to choose to love him or not because a love that is chosen is more powerful than a love that is forced. Next verse, verse 9. And God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. I'm going to come back to that. Don't let me forget. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. One of the top questions that I get asked, what is God's will, Tom? I say, hold on. Let me go to my bat phone. <laughs> God, it's me, Tom. <laughs> Actually, you don't need me to answer that question. 
because Paul has just dropped the mic of clarity on a culture of ambiguity in this verse. In the midst of moral confusion and competing agendas, in the midst of compromised ideology and relevant truth, in the midst of everybody telling you what is right and what is wrong, in the midst of everybody fighting over where the morals are and whether truth is relevant or truth is black and white, in the midst of a whole discussion, listen, start right here. This is the biblical worldview. And what the biblical worldview shows us what God's agenda is. God's agenda, friends, is to unite all things in Jesus. That's the entire agenda. God's agenda, I'll just show you right there, to bring all things in heaven on earth together under one head, Jesus. That's God's will, to unite all things in Jesus. And that's why we're calling this series Pieces. God's will for your life and for mine. If last week God moved something in your heart and you're still the very beginning stages and it may be this church you decide to plug in, it may be another, but something drew you back, let me tell you what God's trying to do. God's will for your life and mine is to sort of unite the brokenness of who we are and bring it all under the headship of Jesus Christ. God wants to take all the broken pieces, all the shame, all the guilt, and in the midst of all that, he's trying to unite all that under the headship of Jesus Christ. Paul writes this same idea using different words to a church in Colossae. If you look at the scripture, I always remember it by the word, by the acronym Gypsy. So it's G-E-P-C. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's a little freebie. Just for, the, just for you people, that's a little freebie. But that's how I always remember it. But Colossians is one of those little letters he wrote right there in that, in that group. And I'm going to read this for you. But I've actually taken the liberty of replacing the pronouns, the, the pronouns that are in this passage with Jesus, since this is the context of the passage. Now see if you can discover the theme. Everybody in the room is now a preacher. And you have to deliver a message on this on Sunday. So everybody look at this and let's see if we can find out what the theme is. This is the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Biblical worldview. Biblical worldview. God created all things. Okay? Next verse. All things were created by him and for him. He, that is Jesus, is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all Jesus's and all God's fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus's blood shed on the cross. Anybody want to guess what the theme of that whole passage is? All things. All things are being united under Jesus. That's the plan. That's the biblical worldview. Now listen, everybody has a worldview. And perhaps your entire life you have spent looking at this direction in your worldview. But it's not making sense to you. And something's moving inside of you. You're like, what am I trying to figure out? I would suggest try living this week with this worldview. You, all the things happening in your life, good, bad, and different. And that is Jesus working to bring all things, all the pieces of me under him? 
When we're pursuing, pursuing our agenda for our lives, life falls apart, and you know that, and so do I. Brokenness happens, and then we leave this trail of brokenness, and we leave pieces of ourselves back there, things we regret, things we're ashamed of, decisions that we want to do over or mulligan for, words we wish we could take back, emails we wish we could delete, bottles we wish we had never opened, pornography we wish we had never brought into our home, decisions we wish we had, hadn't made regarding our children, dates we wish we had never gone on, uh, decisions we wish we'd never made regarding our marriage. And there are so many other things that break us and leave pieces in our lives. Well, God's will is to pull all those pieces back together in Jesus. See, salvation happens when we ask for it. We repent. Say, God, we're going to repent. You redeem. That's salvation. I'm going to give you a new heart, Tom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you. I'm going to save your soul. That's salvation. We repent, God redeems, and now we stand in right relationship with God. But I think the church is sort of missing out on one of the biggest parts of the Christian faith. Once salvation happens, we begin an entirely different process. And it's called, the theological word is called sanctification. Don't be, don't be put off by that. It's just the process by which we become holy. We become like God. Now, here's the thing. God won't force that on you. He won't make you do this. He won't force his will on you. You have to choose. You have to decide to engage in this. And sanctification is the process where we continue to decide, God, I want, I want you to pull all the brokenness. And if, if we will be willing to take the broken pieces of our lives and place them under the headship of Christ, that's the way in which we are all made holy. So, I have two goals for this series, just so you know what's coming. First, as a church, I want to ask the question, how can we love people better while not letting go of God's word and truth? And I want you to know, I'm wrestling with this. The last thing I want is for someone to come in here who is like me before Jesus. And for people to walk out of here feeling condemned, unloved, and alone. So as a church, I want to wrestle with this. And just so you know, you Christian people in the room, you, you can go ahead and start the email now. Dear Tom, and then let me have it, okay, because it's coming. Because this is going to push on all of us. It's going to push on me. How can we be more loving? I want us to look at how we can love people better while not letting go of God's tr word and truth. And I want to do this, as I say, in the example of marriage and family. But the second agenda I have for this series is this. As individuals, what's the process? How can we bring the pieces of our lives that we have given away or have been taken from us back under the headship of Jesus Christ? What would that look like? Now, just be clear, guys. Your peer group, your marriages families with your children you're you're we're getting ready to have some very difficult conversations because this is such a powerful rubber hits the road agenda for the series and so i hope and pray your small group will wrestle with these things i hope and pray your peer group will wrestle with these things and say what would it mean 
for all of me to be placed under the headship of Jesus Christ because here's what I, I trust. For a good many of us in this room, we got the salvation thing settled. But there's much of our life that is broken that we're refusing to bring under the headship of Jesus Christ. Fair? Because it's going to be too hard. And it's going to be different across the room. Some of us is going to be something physical. We're just not bringing that, allowing that to come under the headship of Jesus. Some of us is going to be something we use, some kind of behavior. Some of us is going to be someone we're letting love or who we're loving, something inappropriate, whatever, something that's God's place. I don't know. But I hope you'll join me in boldly going <laughs> in this series. Let's not waste our time. Let's, let's do something with this. What do you think? That's what the piece of series is going to be about. Lord, thank you so much for these beautiful people and the high honor of being able to share with them this morning. And Lord, I, I, I'm sure I have just successfully scared everybody alive <laughs> about where we're going. But Lord, I also know that when we tend to do things on marriage and family, man, the invitations start rolling in our community. And people say, hey, sons and daughter, I'd love for you to come. My daughter-in-law, I'd love for you to come to this series. Uh, friends in the neighborhood, I'd love for you to come. Mom and dad, I, I want you to come to this series. Um, because family is such a place of hurt for so many. Lord, if we had a conversation with each one and, and we had a cup of coffee together, uh, tell me about your place of greatest hurt. So often, Lord, probably, I don't know, so often, 90 some odd percent of the time, the first word coming out of people's mouths is going to be, well, you know, my family, my family, my family, my marriage, my kids, my family. And so, Lord, give us the courage we need. As a congregation that's gone on record saying the Bible has authority, Give us the courage we need to look healing in the face. For some, it's grief. And they've got to allow you to have that brokenness. Anxiety, depression, anger, fear. Hey, listen, if you're praying with me right now, I just want you to know God really does have a plan for you in this series. I'm not saying that prophetically. I, I'm just saying that God's not wasting your time. And I hope you'll engage with me. And Lord, we just lay ourselves before you. Have your way. And when we're all said and done and this series is put up into a box, may we point back to say, you know, that series is where God took the broken pieces of who I am and he placed them under the headship of Jesus Christ and that changed my life forever. Have your way in your name. Amen.